want to do a little experiment with you here today. I'm not leaving it to Gwen alone, all right? So um, no celery, no food coloring, but I do need you to stand up for this, okay? If you don't mind, just get on your feet. You know, uh, those of you who have been with us, you know that we've been going through Isaiah. Isaiah is this, this amazing prophet about seven to 800 years before the time of Christ who spoke so deeply and richly into the character and nature of who God is and, and what God was about to do and, and was gonna burst on the scenes with with Jesus, and, and Isaiah will talk about how God is beyond our comprehension, and yet at the same time stoops down to make himself relatable and knowable to us. It's Isaiah who, who will say things like, who has known the mind of the Lord, who has understood God that he's incomparable, and, that, and yet will make hundreds of comparisons to try to help us understand how God is revealing himself. So I want to ask you a question here today. I want to ask you, what is God like? All right? Come up with that right now. What is God like? When you're asked the question, describe God to me. What is he like? Now, I don't know if you're feeling overly responsive, by the way, uh, um, but we're going to try, all right? Shout it out through your muffled faces. What is God like? Creative, loving. Creative, Merciful, Merciful uh, thankful maybe, but I don't know if that's quite right. Hope. Faithful, faithful, I'm sorry I misunderstood out there. We are covered, right, right. Yeah, merciful, loving, thankful. What else? Forgiving, caring. Always there or ever present. And I heard one over here. Powerful, powerful. You got it, this is God, isn't it? This is how we know God. And you have just revealed something. You are so Western, all right? Ray Vanderland has a great way of talking about this, how people imagine God and think of God. And in the West, we live in the West, right? As we think of the, the, the world, we live in the West. In the West, there is a tendency to always think in terms of proposition and abstraction. So that when we talk about God, we talk about him by ideas, right? We just witnessed it right here. Ideas, words that describe or define God. He's loving, powerful, caring, merciful, wonderful, almighty, ever-present, and all the others that were said. But did you notice how all of them kind of came out of a propositional or, or abstract sort of framework? Did you notice that? Just right here. And, and, and for those of you who weren't nearly as bold or daring, the words that came in your mind, did they correspond with that kind of panoply of vocabulary? Words that were descriptors of who God is. Most of you probably yes, right? Now, my wife is up here nodding no at me because she's heard me talk about this before and because she's wiser than I am and, and, and has deeper insight into things. But as I'm told that in the East, which would include the Middle East, we don't talk about the Middle West, it's the Middle East. In an Eastern way of thinking, far less than describing God in terms of abstraction or proposition or formula or definition, they think about God concretely, with pictures, with images, 
When they're asked, what is God like? They say, God is like a shepherd. It's not an abstraction. It's, it's a concrete image that you get, isn't it? What is God like? God is like a father. What is God like? God is like a nursing mother with an infant at his breast. But that's how Isaiah talks about it. God is like a king. Right? These are, these are pictures, images, roles even. Do you see the difference in what I mean? There's a Western Old Testament scholar by the name of John Goldingay who has a quote that I'd like to share with you today. And we managed to get it on one slide. I'm really excited about this. He writes, theologically, the conviction that humanity is made in God's image underlies Isaiah's use of human images to speak of Yahweh. For Isaiah, God is comparable with a warrior, a shepherd, a craft worker, a king, a desert sheik, a drill sergeant, and an artist. Theologically, it is also significant that no single image can capture God, a multiplicity being necessary to safeguard God's richness and, 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 and the mysterious complexity of who he is, right? But it is also significant that these images all draw attention to aspects of God's activity, which a static material image can only obscure. Now, admittedly, Golden Gay swims at the deep end of the pool, okay? But let's unpack this for a moment here. What he's saying, no, no, give me that slide back. I need that, come on. What he's saying here is, is, is that if we are made in God's image, then we can almost reverse engineer an idea of God. And this is what Isaiah does, that we can look at ourselves the institutions, the roles, the positions, the activities that we engage in, and through them, hopefully start to grasp a hint of the one who made us in his image. Does this make sense? And yet, no single one of these images quite captures it, because God is bigger than what we think of as simply a king, or a shepherd, or a craft worker. But we need a multiplicity, or many, images to bring them all together, to give us glimpses of the totality, of the amazingness of who God actually happens to be. And that more so, God isn't even so much known by the pictures that we use to envision him or the words that you use to describe him but by what he does instead. We showed you a video just a moment ago. I'm curious, do you remember the words that were on there? Or do you remember the images more instead? I don't know, I'm curious what stuck out for you. But as much as Isaiah puts energy into giving these Images of God, more so he describes God not by who he is, but by what he does. And one of the images, or shall I say activities, that God likes to describe, uh, that Isaiah likes to describe God by, is that God is a God who sits. Now, are you getting excited there for a moment when I mention the word sits? 
Has your mind really been formally wrapped up in these last two minutes? Like, when do I get to sit? Who likes to sit? Not enough of you. Okay, we'll keep going. There's a passage I want to share with you out of Luke chapter 17. And, and, and it's amazing how Jesus describes our relationship to God. Look at what he says. The apostles go to Jesus and they say, increase our faith. Now, I, I've always been like, amazed at the audacity of the apostles to ask for that. Not because it's such a bold thing to ask, because ooh, when you start asking God for faith, you are putting yourself out there on the precipice. You know what I mean? Like, Have you ever made the mistake of asking God for patience? You, you, you know, how does, how does God give that to you? They come to him and they say, Lord, increase our faith. We want faith. Increase our faith. What a bold, amazing thing to pray for people to step out of their comfort zones and go, God, have your way with me. I trust you. And oh, this is going to be a ride. But Lord, increase our faith. And look at what Jesus says to them. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to a mulberry tree, be uprooted and plant yourself in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Suppose that for a moment. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? No, would he rather not say, okay, now that you're done, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, Jesus says, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. It's so easy because of what God has done for us to get into this mindset that we just get to bask in his grace and that we are actually entitled to it. But who stands and who sits? Does the master stand or sit? And how about the servant too? How do you view yourself today as one who stands or sits? Now, it's one thing to have this conversation when you're on your butts. But it's a far different thing when you have been standing and the realization of what that means starts to sink in, isn't it? How many of you would like to sit? We're still not half. Okay, we'll keep going. Fantastic. There's going to be some lynch mobs on the coffee house here for a moment. And by the way, who thinks our live streamers are actually standing at home today? Who thinks any of them are out of that couch or that lazy boy, right? Get up, guys. Come on. You're part of this too, right? Would you like to sit? It gets less and less every time I ask this question. I really don't know how to respond to you this morning. If you would like to sit, go for it. You can sit. But if you're a real Christian and know that it's better to stay on your feet... I want to talk to you about how Isaiah, and you can get rid of the slide now. We don't need that anymore, all right? We don't need that anymore. I want to talk to you today about how Isaiah describes God. He describes God as a God who sits. I love how Gwen put this. It sounds incredibly lazy, doesn't it? Do you want a God who sits? Do you take comfort in a God 
who sits, doesn't it feel like God should be about the work of a broken world and yet God is sitting? I, I, I'm so sorry to bring this next analogy up, but it works best for me. I wanna go back to political campaigns. You know, one of my greatest joys is hitting like November 5th and knowing that I'll never have to watch a political campaign for another four years again, like a political ad is actually what I mean, like a TV commercial or, or like, like the flyers that come in the mail. But have you noticed something that is bipartisan, universal, and all political ads? You always have the picture of the politician who's wearing the suit jacket, but his, his collar is open and his sleeves are rolled up because he's hard at work, right? He's working for you. He's fighting for you. It's always pictures. They're out on a factory floor. They're out in the marketplace. They're out on the street corners. They're out among people. They're doing the work and they're busy and they're active. They are not sitting. Do you know the political ad that I would get behind that I want to see? I want to see her sitting in her sweatpants in her couch with a bag of chips and the ad says simply this at the bottom. I got this. I don't want a politician who has to scramble around to keep things under control. I want a politician who is such a master, who's got it so figured out, who commands such respect, who understands it inside and out so well that they can sit on the couch and eat chips because they got this. It's not the reality of life today. Politician sits around on the couch eating chips. It goes like Game of Thrones or House of Cards on them, doesn't it? There's too much intrigue out there. There's too much usurpation out there. There's too much contrarian things out there. They gotta be working. They gotta be fighting. They gotta be maintaining. They gotta in, in, in fifth gear, high gear. Hear the pace that I'm talking? It's kind of like that all the time, right? They gotta keep going. But God, God sits. He's got this. To Isaiah, God is a God who sits, I love this image, let me read it to you today, from Isaiah chapter 40. Some of these verses you'll, you'll be familiar with, but hear them again. He writes, who has measured the water in the hollow of Yahweh's hands or with the breath of his hand has marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales, the hills in balance, who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did Yahweh consult to enlighten him? Who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning, Isaiah writes? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits. He sits enthroned. Above the circle of the earth, he sits. Not scampering around trying to figure it out. Not trying to, to solve the problems. Not trying to work them out. Not having to exert himself to make sure that everything in such fragile balance doesn't... He sits. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth saying, I got this. I got this. God is not a God who has to frantically hold things spinning out of control by the effort and sweat and blood of his bra. No, no, God, Isaiah says, is a God 
who sits. You want a God who sits. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught. Good word, isn't it? I feel like he can only say naught this time of year. And reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. That for the rest of us who need to scamper about, trying to figure it out, trying to solve it, trying to keep it afloat, no God. God is seen by what God does. And God sits down. In the ancient Near East, kings would sit. Kings would sit after their enemies had been subdued. Kings would sit after their rule had been secured. Kings would sit when their power was known and certain. Kings would sit to project. You got nothing to be afraid of. I've got this. You can't sit if your power might be taken from you. You can't sit if your enemies need to be subdued unless you can do it by one little finger. You can't sit when justice needs to be done and decisions have to be made and you don't know what to do. But when the opposite is true, you sit. You sit. And this is the, the image that Isaiah brings to you, the God. The God who sits. This is what Jesus is about on the cross. Believe it or not, that Jesus' life was the work. And the cross was the heavy lifting. But when he stood on that cross and shouted out, it is finished. He proclaimed, the work is done. It is accomplished. And the writer to the Hebrews, he, he picks up on this. Let me share this with you today. He writes, day after day, the priests of old had to stand to perform their religious duties again and again, offering the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, the Christ, had offered himself for all time one sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down. He sits because there's no more work to do because your sins have been paid for. The enemies that stand against you have been defeated. The creation upheaving against you has been tamed. Oh, he sits. The work is done. He sits, and more than that, he kicks his feet up. Look at the next line. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet, right? Because by one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus sits so you can sit too. He sits, and not just in some hard wooden chair. He sits in the lazy boy in full recline position. he's got this. He's got you. He's got you. 
that are spinning on out there, out of control. He's sitting. Whatever's freaking you out today, he's sitting. Whatever's overwhelming you, he's sitting. You got it? He's a God who can sit down in the midst of it, which is the utter statement of hope and security for you. So what does Isaiah say? What does Isaiah say? Don't be afraid. Don't panic. Because Jesus is seated today. And you can take hope in that. He's sitting down. And I want you to hear this in the right way, okay? He's sitting down. So why don't you? You can sit on your seat, can't you? And still be running around. He's sitting down. And he invites you to do so too.